Welcome to today's podcast. On the show, we have John Farrell. Thank you very much, John, for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm I'm quite interested to see where we're going to go today. Well, you know, with Global Citizen Life, it's there, there's so many opportunities around the world and different experiences that people have. And sometimes people are a little bit scared to get out of that comfort zone, move to a foreign country, go overseas. And I, I kind of understand that, but I've also done it many times. So I know how wonderful and great it could be. So for me, talking with other people who have done it will hopefully inspire and motivate those people who want to, but they're a little bit nervous about it to kind of take that leap and enjoy a life around the world. Sounds like fun. Yes. I spent, I've spent many years, decades overseas. So yeah, it's been great. Well, let's just give the listeners a little bit of background about your story, where, where you started, maybe a few of the places that you have lived or been to and, and where you are now. I, I don't think we've got time to tell you the places I've been to. Um, okay, well, just where you've lived. How about that? Where, you, where you've lived? Well, I'll, I'll start at the start. I, I'm from New Zealand. And in New Zealand, this little wee tiny insignificant country back out the far, as far away as you can get, closer to Antarctica than anywhere else. And in New Zealand, there's a, there's a OE, Overseas Experience. And the majority, 70%, 80% of the population go overseas and they live, work overseas. So when I left, um, I could get a two-year work permit in, in England, in, in the UK. So we were sort of encouraged to go overseas. Um, unfortunately, uh, when my two-year work visa sort of ran out, I didn't go back home, and I left New Zealand 35 years ago. Wow. I haven't been to the Middle East. <laughs> okay, that's that's a good way to sum it up. Everywhere but yes. the Middle East. Yeah. And so with all, all of those places, what... What are some of your favorite places? Even though I know it's a hard question to answer because when people ask me my favorite, there's there's pros and cons to everywhere, but there's a few that really stand out um, and sometimes they're just for very specific reasons. I, I, I yeah, I, as I said, I haven't been to the Middle East. How to answer that question? I remember experiences. So Going to new places, I get a, a sense and experience. So it's more about just arriving in new places. It, it reminds me of a story. I was I used to run private yachts, sort of 100, 200, 250 foot private yachts, powerboats. Um, so that was a lot of my travel, but I, I finished that 20 years ago. Um, but I remember one day we were sailing in, we'd been at sea for about a week and we sailed into Acapulco. Um and the uh, stewardess on the boat said, oh, you haven't been here before. It must be, you know, fantastic. you're coming to a new place. And and I was the first officer. And I turned around, looked at the captain, and, he, and the captain said, it's just another place, isn't it? And it it sort of summed it up. But I, I really liked Acapulco. Um, I think it's great now because it's still got the aura, the sense, but there's no tourists. You know, Acapulco had its day back in the... 80s or 90s or something but today right. it's it's beautiful but there's not the number of tourists there's still quite a few tourists there but it's not packed like it is so I, I remember yeah that sense that feeling of sailing through the the entrance and Acapulco is a beautiful big bay and um and I've sailed in there probably three or four times since that first trip in there 
Um, Cabo San Lucas was a great place. I remember we were there for about three weeks. Um, and we went out one day, there was a big traffic jam in, in the in the village, literally. You know, was, Cabo was pretty small back in the 90s. Um, and it was like, well, what's going on? So we sort of w- walked up the street to find out what was going on. And there was a set of traffic lights. And nobody knew what to do with it because they switched them on. And they're all, they, they, yeah. Okay, now, now I know Cabo San Lucas is a little bit more built up today. But in those days, they they put these traffic lights on. They didn't switch them on. They just put traffic lights in and everyone stopped because they didn't know what to do because they hadn't seen traffic lights before. Um, That's funny. Yeah, I, I could go on telling you all sorts of stories. I, I'm I'm writing a book at the moment, and and the first chapter is going to be sort of along that. I'm just sort of it's a draft copy at the moment. My overseas experience started with a civil coup in um, in in the Caribbean in um, Haiti, and we were going past Haiti and the steering brake, and we had to. Go, go go to go to port and we got stuck in the in in the dock as a civil coup broke out in haiti which happens every six months um so the customs guys said uh i'll sign you in and out leave as soon as you can um so my book's gonna sort of start this book starts in a civil coup in haiti and it finishes with me sitting on the veranda in Myanmar in burma in a civil coup and having to leave the country again so we did that a couple of years ago two years ago we just We'd been lived in Myanmar for two years. We arrived there before democracy uh, and we went out after democracy had finished. So democracy in the last, since the war actually, has only been in Myanmar for about those 10 years that we were there. So yeah, that, were, that was a pretty interesting paragraph I came up with. Started in the civil coup and it sort of finished in the civil mm. coup. <laughs> been a lot of, that's lot a of- very interesting um, places to be at and very interesting times, times. which are very different than where you are now. Mm. Yes, well, we had to, li- we were sort of refugees. I mean, my, my, we, we were sitting in, um, in Myanmar, sort of, do we go, do we not go? And, and yeah, I mean, it, it was pretty well established. There was thousands and thousands of foreigners there. It was really um, changed phenomenally in the 10 years that we were there. Um, you know, when we first arrived, there was a few hotels we could stay in. Yangon is a city of 8 million people. It's not small. Um, but there's only a few hotels we could stay in. So all the foreigners, expats were kept together and there was a few jobs that we had there. By the time we left, um, I was um, managing, a, well, one of, the, one of the jobs I had was managing um, the recreational side of this um, suburb, this gated community that had been set up with 3,000 keys, 3,000 apartments. I mean, it wasn't small. We had rugby, football fields, um, bars, supermarkets, golf course, driving range, um, swimming pools. So it had gone from that extreme in 10 years. So the change was just phenomenal. But to have to leave there was 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 quite hard. And we literally left as refugees. It was sort of like sitting in the veranda, having a drink on Friday night, listening to the gunfire across the river in the city and going, we need to leave. So wow. within seven days, we'd packed up everything we could in our suitcases, my wife and myself, and we left to come back to the UK um, which we've been in them for the last couple of years. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That uh, that's definitely quite uh, uh, an an normal experience, shall I say? Very unique. With that, not many people can say that they've they've had that type of experience. Why did you pick Myanmar to to go to or to live at, or how did you end up staying there for ten years? Because as you said from the start, it wasn't 
a typical place that a lot of expats would be going to or or living at, let alone just traveling for vacation. It, when we arrived, um, there was one um, hotel, Pan Pacific, that used to have a, a restaurant. So this is um, this would now be 15 years ago. So you know, 2010, 29, 2010, so not that long ago, there was one hotel where we used to have Sunday lunch and we pretty much knew everybody, foreigners, because there was... A handful of foreigners there they were in the hundreds um and i i, I was commissioned to bring a, a hundred foot sailboat into the country and train locals to work on private yachts around the world i now have um burmese guys working in germany on spain different places around the world but it was kipling that said myanmar burma is like no place you'll ever visit and my wife and myself, I mean, the experiences we had there, one of the jobs, that, so I'm mostly employed in hospitality. Um, one of the jobs I had was running a 180 foot um, riverboat. So real six star, real luxury, um, you know, sort of the, 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 the lower cabins were $600 a night. So it wasn't, wasn't cheap. Um, but yeah, we, we, I mean, my, my bread and butter was Mandalay and Bagan. Bagan is, where Buddhism started, um, there's three thousand temples and they, they um, shrines. They they can't tell quite how many they are because they keep rising and falling into the sand around again. Mandalay it goes back to I mean ancient times. Um, so that that was where I was sort of sailing in and out of on the on the Irrawaddy. Um, but we also got the chance to go up the river um, to the Chinese border and then up the Chinwin to the Indian border. The Indian border. Uh, there is where the allies turned around and came back to first start driving the Japanese back in the Second World War. Up the, the Irrawaddy to the, the northern um, climbs up to uh, China is where they, in the, in the Second World War, the allies came from India, from the west, and the Chinese came from the east. And they pushed the Japanese back through Rangoon and then out through, uh, out to the end of the Second World War. Um a lot of the people in that, I mean, bearing in mind, right right up until before we left, I mean, this is a country that's bigger than France and Germany. It's got a population of 60 million, so it's not insignificant. Um, they were pushing about 3 million tourists per annum, which is, again, is insignificant in a country that size. So in those parts of the world, you'd, you'd run into tanks from the war that had just been left from the war. I mean, this is just in the in the fields. Um, the locals saw up the rivers maybe 50, less than 50 foreigners in their lives. Um, friends of mine, they wrote a, a book, uh, uh, sorry, they, they released a couple of documentaries, um, Forgotten the Allies. These guys that were literally teenagers that helped the Allies um, fight the Japanese. And they still revered the Queen and and that they had no contact they were waiting for the english to come back the british to come back to help them so so remote just just yeah just incredible riding elephants yeah that's normal but these are wild elephants you know they come out they pull the teak logs out of the forest and we could go for a ride on them down at the beach um on the on the side of the river um yeah it, it's the little things i remember having rice you know rice yeah i mean everybody's eating rice you haven't eaten Not rice until they take it off the field 
and they they have these some um, steamers that they put them in so the rice is air dried and then they steam it heat it up and steam it it, it tastes like rice i haven't had anything like it right. the coffee yes. the coffee i used to have this little guy in in um, yangon um i used to buy my coffee off so he'd set a little shop up on the side of the street next to the coffee shop um he had a 44 gallon drum of ground coffee and it was like two dollars a kilo for coffee and um I, I can't I, I can't I couldn't take it to Australia or back to England because nobody could drink it. It was too strong. The stuff we get here from Starbucks is can I mention the name? But it's it's like in warm milk. Mm, um wow, that would be some strong coffee then. Because I'm not used to strong coffee. <laughs> seriously strong coffee. Or you yeah, you you know, you get the pineapples and you can't eat you can't eat a bowl of pineapple because it's so strong. Mm-hmm. The, the acid that's the, the true the freshness of things yeah. that we get when it's local which is yeah, great absolutely i i mean it's they don't do organic farming because it is organic farming they, they right. don't know the term right so it was a phenomenal place to live to experience it and the locals the locals at that stage really wanted to meet foreigners just just to meet them to learn to experience what was going to happen and the evolution in that country from when we were there um where, where most foreigners would never see a, a most locals would never see a foreigner you'd go into a company and I'm, I'm lucky my background is coaching um i coach entrepreneurs and business people um, and now coaching expats uh, so that helped me a lot to coach the locals not not to the level of setting goals and that but just understanding where they were because the education system is so bad there it's it, you can't explain it just because of the, 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 this, the situation after the war, the English walked out or left and the locals took over and then the military stepped in um, pretty soon after the war. And Myanmar, Burma at that stage, Lee Kuan Yew modelled Singapore on Burma. The president of the UN was Burmese. It had the best universities in Asia. And then the military stepped in and closed it up for two generations so they just opened it up when we got there uh, well just after we got there so it was it was being in a place witnessing history unfold daily almost it is the changes were just just incredible and, and working with the locals um yeah that was so even though it it was quite some time now about 10 10 years ago or a little over how did the process work for uh, getting residency or a visa or like, how did you manage to that? And could you open a bank account after? How did that kind of like that day-to-day -day things that when we move overseas that we need to get done, how did that work there back then? I think, so when I first left New Zealand, I worked on private yachts, mostly in France. Um, that's one of the big bases. But I spent a lot of time in Florida, in Fort Lauderdale, Miami. Um, and I spent a season in um, San Diego. So in those different places, recognizing as an Australasian, so New Zealand, Australia, South African as well. I think because of our upbringing, because of the because of our lifestyle, we're, we're more flexible. We can put up with more things. So 
I don't need a bank account if I'm, you know, back in the day, I didn't need a bank account if I was in a country. I, I could, I spent years in France without a visa because yeah, they didn't really, it wasn't a problem. Um, I think a lot of different, um, a lot of other people, because they're not used to traveling as much, they're a little bit, they expect a bit more of the luxuries, home luxuries, if you like. Yes. Um, so that was, it was easier when I was in yachting. And then because I stayed outside New Zealand, I sort of got used to what was going on in Thailand. We lived in Thailand for a couple of years and Thailand was a, is a little bit more formalized, but it's an expat in Thailand to have a job, the company has to show that a local can't do it. And for every expat they employ, they have to employ five locals, which is a, which is a, which is a good idea. So mm -hmm. The position I had, I was I was an agent bringing in ships, um, cruise ships to Phuket. Um, so there was a lot of communication and um, just understanding. You know, you sort of you start running before they start coming down. The you start, yeah, you're flat out because they their time span, their timeline is really short on a cruise ship, and it's critical. Right. So that's that's why I was there for a couple of years, and so because of that, it was relatively easy to get bank accounts, but. Yeah, this is this is 20 years ago. And and I mean, it's not easy in the West anymore. I don't know about the States. <clears throat> I think I still have two bank accounts in the US. <clears throat> but today in England, in Britain, it's really difficult to open a bank account. Really? It's nigh on impossible. You've got to have a you've got to have a you've got to have local bills, rates, you know, power or something. But to pay a power bill, you've got to have a bank account, but you can't get a bank account unless you've got to be paying rates. So how do... oh, there's so many places that have that vicious circle that you can't have one without the other, but you can't get the other without the one. And so going to Myanmar, again, it was lucky, I think, because the fact I'd been overseas, because you could do anything in Myanmar. If you knew the right people, pulled the right strings. I, I I say we we left New Zealand. It took us a week to get sort of packed up. I mean, it was ten years. It took longer for us to take our. Well, he's not. She's not here now. Our Burmese street dog from Myanmar to England. Oh yeah, that would have been a process. It was yeah. I mean, this is sort of just on the tail of COVID. So that process was um, finding the company that could transport by road to the Thai border. And then sit at the Thai border for a couple of days till we had the right border guard who would slip them across, yeah, bit of tea money. And then, and then our dog Mango went to Bangkok and she stayed in the hotel for about a week until she got the, the flight to London. Um, you know, we just flew from Yangon to London. It took her about 10 days to fly. She had more air miles than most most humans at that stage. But that was all sort of, most of that was done through people you know. So bank accounts mm. Myanmar at that stage it's it's a it's obviously it's had to catch up with the rest of the world the company I worked for in Myanmar was a was a shipping company and they ran about 300 ships around the world mostly crewed by Burmese guys who were paid in that country huge wages but you know an officer or an engineer would be paid about 800 to a thousand dollars a month which is gold dust there but obviously to us it's not much but because they're on the ships, they they couldn't get their money back home. There was no transaction of money. There was a lot of um, a lot of the banks, Chase Manhattan, still have things in place where you couldn't transfer money in and out easily. So the company was a German company set up uh, in Cyprus, and what they would do is they would take the wages in Cyprus, 
and they would transfer on paper the money to Yangon and Yangon, the families would come into the office and they would get paid in local currency. So $1 US is worth 3000 chats, the local currency. So the families would come in, one family would come in $800 and it would be a wheelbarrow literally full of, oh, of my wages. And, um, just before I arrived, they they had a, a, a cyclone went through Yangon um, and it broke the back of Road to Mandalay, which is a famous cruise ship, German cruise ship that used to ply the river. And it, it's, um, it broke its back and it had several hundred thousand litres of diesel on. They had to sell it. They had to do the transaction at the hotel because it was the only place big enough to get the shopping trundlers full of cash through the door counted and out and it took a day to count the money so the company i worked wow. for had a room full of cash but there was no security because it, you didn't need any security so yeah at that stage banking wasn't so easy trying to get money out today is is it's not worth trying um there are banks and i can hold us dollars or local currency down there when before we left but yeah the 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 banking system was very archaic um it's you you, you but ironically of, i mean you you figure it out right like that's it's it's one of those things that um and and obviously when you first got there we're, we're going back quite some time too but it's those things as you learn how the system works you work within the system it's it's very different it's opposite now as you say in the uk where you need to have you know proof of um X, y, and bills <laughs> and all of that kind of stuff but again you you get to know the system you do what you need to do and you work within the system we can adjust very well that way and i think it's it's easier and harder in the west because you know what you have to do you either do it or you don't do it in in thailand me and mum also but a lot of asia's this way where to get anything done you've got to know somebody local hmm. so really important that that and, and it's not it's I learned this long time. It's not the language, it's the communication. Okay. And you get a lot of expats go into places like Thailand, Myanmar, um, who think they've said something. And because the job I had was actually training these guys. So I, I had to work with them on a social level as well as the technical skills of a ship, of a boat. Um, it was the social skills. So they would they would could enjoy themselves when they're overseas or just you know, sort of not not die of boredom or heartache so i really got to know them and i, I would stand there and watch them um uh with another foreigner and the foreigner would say something and i didn't speak burmese but i would have to take over the conversation to make sure that they understood what this other per this other foreigner wanted because they were saying something in english and then of course the foreigner the expat would get frustrated and talk in a louder voice and yeah you know, it happens all the time but it was the communication that was missing. And it, so, so, yeah, so, so we, we learned all these different ways. I used to sit down, we used to have lunch um, in the shipyard, which was, which was, you know, pretty rudimentary, was wooden benches sort of thing. But we would sort of discuss stuff and they would, I'd say something and then I'd say, look, you need to discuss this in Burmese and then tell me back what I've said. So I would, help them improve their English but also for me to understand what was going on and right. 
I, I'm from New Zealand, so we play rugby. The Rugby World Cup is happening in France at the moment. You're, you're American. It is. So you I was anything... actually just in France. And, oh, okay. uh, and yeah, I was in Nice for a few days. So yeah, it was Most very Americans would busy. Have never, never heard about rugby. But rugby is an international game like football. But mm-hmm. an interesting thing, because when we first got to Yangon, there were so few foreigners there. There was a couple of bars, but not that much organised. And... So what we did, I mean, another Kiwi and a Scottish guy, was to form a, a group to play rugby, just touch rugby, just sort of Saturday afternoon sort of things mm-hmm. before we had a few beers. And we used to get 100 people turn up to play a pr- impromptu game of rugby. Um, and then I realised that what I needed to do is to get these guys, these local guys I was working with, to to get involved in this, to socialise with the foreigners, because it's the social aspect, help the communication. Um, and that made a huge difference to their interaction. One of the guys, um, local guys, didn't play great rugby, but he, he got involved in the rugby. And um, then the coup happened. And it, just before the coup happened in Myanmar, he, he applied for a scholarship to go to Japan. So he comes into me and he says, look, I've got all this stuff and I'm going to the Marine Engineering College in, in Tokyo or, or Osaka, I think it was. And I, he filled it all up, filled it up. And I said, no, on the last page, you need to put down, I play rugby. And he said, oh, oh, yeah, OK. So he put that down. He said, I talked to him months later, he said, that was all they wanted to talk about. Wow. He got a scholarship to go to university for a year. Um, he's been there for four years. I mean, Fantastic. it's it's great because, you know, you really don't want to be in the country now, especially as a young right. millennial sort of local, because they've they've experienced the world opening up. They haven't so much experienced the, the shit that's happening there. It's, sorry, my language, but it's mm. really bad. You know, they they say that um, six million, uh, six thousand Ukrainian civilians have died in the war in Ukraine. More civilians have died in Myanmar, but nobody hears about it. Right. So he was lucky because he played rugby, because mm. he talked to me, because he put that single sentence and, and he was off, right? So one of the, the big things about being the expert, and rugby helped that, you know, they, they, we had a, a rugby pitch in Yangon and a football pitch, and the guys, the local guys would come and play football and then they'd, they'd leave and they'd go back home, whatever. They, um, the expats and the locals would come and play rugby and they'd play for half an hour. And then they'd come and sit down and have a drink of water because it's 45 degrees Celsius, which is, what, 110? So hot. Yeah, something like that. It's it's just way too hot. So the, so so we'd play for 20 minutes and they'd come down, sit down, maybe have a beer, have a drink of water, and they'd go out and play again. So the game would take a few hours. But in this sitting down, the local, uh, the expats would actually talk to them rather than a manager-employee um, relationship. It was, we're playing a sport. Right. Um, We're equals now. We're communicating as as friends. Exactly. And the communication changed and it helped the local guys, but it helped the expats as well because, okay, this is a different relationship. Um, It helped them so much to understand much more about what was going on. And it helped the locals realize also that just because an expat said something, it's not what they meant. You You actually had to learn to ask, the locals had to learn to ask the questions so that they understood you know it was Covey that wrote the book seek first to understand and then be understood well the expats got it the wrong way around as a rule um so the locals i was sort of pushing them to understand don't say yes because in in in, in asian culture if you say yes 
the other person smiles, it's all all right. It's all cool. Hmm. So <laughs> the expat would say something. The local would say yes. The expat would say, oh, okay, you understand, right? And they'd, they'd be off. And of course, the local would be like, yeah, he smiled. Everything's great. Nothing would right. be done. So, and you, and you have to be careful because sometimes that can can run into trouble because somebody says yes if they're not understanding they don't know exactly what they're saying yes to and it could be meeting later for a drink or a coffee or help doing something and you said yes and all of a sudden they might be waiting or not knowing where you're at and um, then you don't show up now you're not such a nice person anymore um, all the time so all the time in in Myanmar where it happens a lot. Asia. In, in Myanmar, it happened most of the time. In Asia, it happened, but not not as much. But yeah, absolutely, because it's a different type of social relationship that 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 Asians have that we don't in the West. Mm. So you tell somebody to do something, they say yes, they go away and they do it. Right. Asians are looking for the relationship. The Westerners don't have that relationship. It's like you know, I'm telling you to do something, go and do it. There's no relationship to it. Um, right. And so, of course, it puts, you know, the, the expat gets upset and the local gets upset because there's, the relationship's not there. And that changes their, you know, sort of how they mm. how they relate to, to other locals as well. So it's it's it's, it's a lot of turmoil involved in that. Um, it's it's important. It really is important to understand the culture where you're going to. I mean, we're, we're never really going to understand it until we're in it. We can read about it and things, but that's. That's the one thing about moving abroad is once you're somewhere, you really need to understand how things work and, and accept it. The reason why we leave countries, whether it's our first country, second country, whatever it may be, when we leave, generally we're looking for a change. We want something different and we can't, nor should we expect to have the same things. Like for me, when I left Canada, whether I was in Costa Rica, in Spain, um, Montenegro, wherever I am, I don't expect things to be like they are in Canada, because if I wanted them to be like they are in Canada, I should stay in Canada. I want to experience different lifestyles, different things. And sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes that, I don't seems... understand why some places do some things and it just doesn't make <laughs> yes. sense, but that's just the way it is. That's sadly, that's an unusual, it, I think I agree hundred percent with you, but it's sadly, it's an unusual sort of take people you know the brits go to um to spain to um the islands of spain mm -hmm. and they go to the english beach where the where the waiters on the beach speak english and it's english beer and english fish and chips and if you get lost and you go to the beach next door and ibiza it's german and the waiters speak german and it's german beer and it's german food so I think that's because you know when I left home, not many people travelled, so it was it was a big adventure. Whereas now, you know, with with um, Sky Blue and EasyJet and that, we can jump on a plane for a couple, not maybe nowadays, but a few years before, before COVID, you could jump on a plane and go to lots of different places. And so you have people took those expectations with them. They yes. didn't. They 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 expected they to find their creature comforts in these new places, and then got annoyed because they weren't there. Right. What I was going to say was it was fascinating. I, I spent a lot of time in Florida and Miami and in Fort Lauderdale. The difference going to San Diego. And I'm going, mm -hmm. this is America. What the? So, yeah, even within a country, um, 
subtle cultural differences. Oh, absolutely. Um, and it takes, I think it takes a, a, a certain amount of self-awareness to notice what's going on. Um, to pick up on that, those subtle differences is like in the States, but when you're in a completely different country, I love France. France is fantastic. I lived in um, Antibes, just south of Nice for years. Okay. And um, it's it, not so great on team oh, well, because it's because it's the biggest yacht port super yacht port in the world which are predominantly run by english speaking so australasians and in brits um i think there's 8000 there's more than 8000 english speaking wow. locals in on on team's not a big place it's just it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's a fraction of the size of nice um it's and nice place... is not a big place either no, exactly, exactly. It's the only place in France where you go to the supermarket and all the signs are in English and then French. The French oh, wow. want everything to be in French. So they had a, a few years ago, the, the, the government brought out a rule that you couldn't start calling things by their English names, like computer, la, la ordinator, or fish and okay. chips. No, Fritz. So they put all the English, name, all the English names out and referred them back to France. But on TIB... So it was really difficult to learn French. I don't speak French. I lived there for about eight years. Okay. Because every, and the only way that the local French businesses could become involved in the boats was to speak English or to yeah. employ somebody that spoke French and English and, and they would interact with the boats. Um, and it was something like three quarters of the industry of the town because obviously yachts pump thousands, millions of dollars into the local community. It's the second biggest industry in the Côte d'Azur. Um, wow. It's, it's, it's massive. Um, so the French sort of, but in Antibes, with all that money, with all that control in the English-speaking community, they had no say in the politics. So every now and then you get this curveball thrown in and it would, it came up a few times, but yeah, it was a, a fascinating place to live. But that, that's, I, I live in England, and of course, they have the, um, the, the rules and regulations, the Euro European rules and regulations. Now the UK's out of it. But one of the rules I remember was that because we used to run a hotel here was that um, they brought in the anti-smoking regulation. You couldn't smoke in the pubs. First time I ran into it was at a marina in San Diego and um, went to the bar to watch the uh, the Super Bowl, and I I hadn't watched a, a, a NFL game before, and 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 there was a break in the game. And I could walk to the bar. It emptied. Everyone went outside to have a cigarette. It's a few years ago again. So it was just at that stage. So in England, it was like that. You go to a bar and it'd be full and then something had happened. Everyone would go outside and have a cigarette. In France, all the signs are up, but you can't see them because they're covered in smoke and they're covered in... in, in the French just ignore it. I'm going to smoke where I like. That doesn't, it doesn't... So you expect to go to a... A, a beer station a beer shop in in france and the guys are sitting there with their with their coffees and the cigarettes in the in the morning so yeah in england they have the rules and they keep to them you know sort of like you know they're policed in france they they have the rules on the wall but nobody takes any notice of them. not policed as much <laughs> not policed at all i love france. right france is a great place there's great you know there there's many many great places um that uh that i i love and i enjoy I, I love italy i really enjoy france spain is fantastic costa rica is beautiful i mean there's just 
It's yep. it's tough sometimes for some people to perhaps pick a place. So if people were maybe kind of torn between places or they have in mind a place or two that they would like to go, but they're just just nervous, just scared, what what kind of advice or or what would you say to them if they're they're on the fence about about kind of taking that leap and and moving abroad? I I was what I was gonna say was that um I call them club med tourists, club med um, expats. Um, and when I saw a lot of them in Myanmar, they'd fly in, they have the two-year stint with the company, they'd fly in, they'd do the job, they'd sort of know the locals, but they wouldn't really know the locals, and then they'd leave. They spent two years in the country, but they never really they never really learnt about the country. So it's really important wherever you go. Um, I mean, Costa Rica, yes, I could tell you stories about Costa Rica, but to actually get in with the locals. Don't go to a place and go to the local, you know, the local beer station, the local pub where the Americans are or the, or the Brits are. I mean, you, you can't not go, but don't just go there. Right. Um, actually, mm. actually go to the places that the locals go because it, going on holiday, for me, life's experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually going to these places and, and going off. One of the rules I have is, if you go to a place and the restaurant's full, that's the restaurant you need to go to. If the one next door is yes. empty, there's a reason. The locals are not going there. Mm-hmm. Or if it's full of tourists, don't go there because, A, the price will be high and, B, it's not it's not authentic. It's going to be, you know, like I live in England and Indian food here is fantastic. Now I've been to India. Well, <laughs> Indian food here is English Indian food. It's not Indian Indian it's, food. Right. It's it's just not the same. It's absolutely it's, not the same. It's chalk and cheese. And another another one that somebody said to me one time too is with restaurants when I first moved to Spain was don't go to a restaurant where they have pictures outside showing what they sell because that's just <laughs> ah, a touristy the place and don't go there. So that's that's also another another good one have, to stick by. I have lots of rules. And, and one of the rules I have in Spain is if there's sawdust on the floor, that's the restaurant you need to go to. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's this restaurant I went to in Barcelona. And it wasn't a restaurant. It's such a weird to go for drinks Friday night. And it wasn't really. It, it was two buildings. And there was a road between the middle. And they just blocked off either end of the road. And in 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 um, in Spain, they have all the hams hanging upside down and the umbrellas yeah. to catch the the fat. And so the ceiling was just just legs of ham. All they served was champagne, sort of like five dollars oh. champagne, ten dollars champagne, twenty dollars champagne by the glass. So you you could pick and choose. Well, that was all they mm-hmm. served. Sawdust on the floor, and you were lucky if you could get in. There would be a hundred people there, but it was wow. only open sort of. Half past four to half to seven o'clock. So just you sort of when you're just about to finish work not, before mm-hmm. you're going to the restaurants and 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 you'd meet all sorts of people there, locals, because you yes. had to you had to know the locals to know where to go to find these places. Right. Um, right. Well, I yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if you go overseas. Yes, you need to find out what the locals are doing. I I was in. We're just outside um, Barcelona, and we're in this little village up in the um, the, the the forest. And it was really hard to find. There was it was a tiny village. There was about three restaurants, and two of them were closed. And this other one had restaurant, but it looked closed. So we knocked on the door, and there was not really any signs outside. There's no pictures outside. Definitely, 
and there's a sign so we knocked on the door and the, and the owner opened it and she didn't speak english she was speaking catalan catalan mm-hmm. but it was it was obviously a restaurant but it was a little bit sort of bigger than just being their house but it was sort of looked like a it was their house so she said, oh wait 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 so she called her daughter out who was in the kitchen and she spoke a bit of english and she said oh yes yes we'll put a table aside for you there's not really a rest there's not really a menu you just have to eat what we're serving that was oh. about 20 people it was quite yeah it was quite busy it was a restaurant but it, it, mm-hmm. it was just so perfect food take the risk and and go to those mm-hmm. places that yes don't have the photos outside um um, lots of loud music. I mean, we didn't really, the door was closed. There wasn't lights on or anything. It just had restaurants. So, oh, we, we should try this place. So, you know, it's not. Sometimes it's the least often. obvious that's the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take take the risk because then you're going to experience different, you had different experiences. And they right. are the things you're going to remember, Um, you know, not going to the 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 restaurant in Spain that serves fish and chips. You're not you're not going to remember that. No, no, no. You want to go and have authentic food wherever you're traveling to, and to to go where the locals go to meet locals. Yeah. Um, you know that's that's the best thing. And if even if you're staying at at a hotel, ask the person that one or or a few of them, or ask somebody in housekeeping or something. Ask where do you go to eat? Yes. Where do you go to eat? And they will give you an honest answer of yep. what is good and what what they enjoy. And then be open to that type of food. If you're Spain, it's Spanish, Italian, Italy, like wherever you're going to be, then you're truly getting that yep. that local thing. And if you're you're moving. It's it's the same type of thing. Get to know the locals and participate yeah. in their festivities and parties and whatever it is after work, drinks after dinner, coffee. Even though I don't drink coffee that late, but you can still have something like. But just yeah, it makes the experience different. And the whole part I know that a lot of people say is you know we want to move or we're thinking of moving for for whatever the reasons are. They want to change. They want something different. So enjoy the difference. Enjoy the new culture, the different things. You do have to sort of find some some fellow expats mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you do need that little oasis to sort of just to sort of touch base with home. If like every yes. now and then, because it, I know as as an expat, you know, we we lived in Thailand um, before that. We were in England for a few years. Then we went to Thailand, and that was quite a cultural shift going to live mm. in Asia. And I thought, well, okay, we're going from Thailand to Myanmar. That shouldn't be too much, but that was probably the hardest place I've been to live in, in Myanmar because there were so few expats there. Um, mm. As I said, it was in the thousands and and we used to meet lots of, Sunday lunch was great because we'd meet lots of expats. So you do need that sort of that breathing space. Mm. Um, but it, it is it can be hard, the cultural shock of, of traveling. And I think, cultural shock can be really hard so um i was i, I was quite, my wife came with me so my wife's english so i met her in france um we went out to dinner in italy we went to a nightclub in spain we got engaged in florida we got married in england so yeah we traveled a little bit um but it was hard for both of us but we both sort of found a way of um working in 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 finding our local uh, local context so I, I, it's really important if you're a couple even harder if you've got kids but if you're a couple to make sure that your partner actually 
has some connections, some relationships that they develop with the locals and not just the, the, the woman that comes around and does the cleaning. They, they can join groups, that sort of thing, because it, it yeah. it's really hard um, when there isn't anything to do and you can't go out. Um, and a lot of these places, uh, Myanmar, when you got there, there was no TV. Um, Thailand was a bit better. You had 100 channels, but they're all cheap sort of, you know, foreign language stuff. So that 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 was quite hard. My wife um, rides horses. And <laughs> a few years ago, I bought her two horse riding lessons. I'm not quite sure how we ended up owning two horses. If you know anything about horses, you'll end up owning a couple of horses. So she she worked through um, in Thailand. She she was riding you know, and it was quite cheap. And then she met people and developed relationships there on a, mm. with the locals. Um, and then we went to Myanmar and she did more riding there. And that 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 in itself was just just phenomenal. Um, we went to Bagan, which is an ancient city. I mean, you're talking thousands, three thousand years old. I think they've still got so relics from the Pew era. Um, so we 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 went there with the we took the horses there for a big competition, an equestrian competition. Been twenty five years since I'd seen this before. It was the end of the season, so there was it's quite patriarchal. So there was three women riding, and they did the um, dressage where the horses dance around the in the in the and the boys did the horse jumping and the and the racing, and that's just how it is. So it was um, end of crop season, so the owners put on a big meal for the, the local pickers of all the crops around and they include it in this this equestrian event when I mean, there was only 50 or 100 horses it wasn't a big event but of course they'd never seen it before plus the food was there so it was ten thousand people at this equestrian event they sort of knew that horses raced and they hadn't really seen them jump but dressage totally totally different scene so they had to get the three women on the horses so they didn't sweep the horses into the arena together I say arena, it was a piece of sand with some posts marking out a square. And they had they had four layers of people. They had the, the kids kneeling down, squatting really low on the ground. They had the next layer up, kneeling up. The next layer up was sort of squatting and almost standing. And the next layer was standing. And then the next layer was... So there was a thousand people around this arena in silence. Just, just could hear a pin drop. And the Burmese announcer was in Burmese was explaining what was happening. And of course, these people had never seen horses dance like this before and perform as they wow. do in dressage. Mm -hmm. So actually, yeah, she, she got a lot out of um, interacting on a social level. So it wasn't a job. She so was actually just training and working with some of the horses and then going to events like that. So, you know, in, in I mean, she was the only foreigner there. They interviewed her for TV, and one of my um, one of the guys that I was training had to had to translate for her on on national television. Um, the sort of thing that no other no other expats would have even known was happening at the time. So, sort of work with the locals, find out some of the things that are happening. Even in Thailand, you know, there's there's expat foreign clubs, there's foreign correspondents. Oh, yeah. clubs, that sort of thing. Everywhere there is now, especially with social media, there's Facebook groups, yeah. there's meetup groups, there's everything. Funny but you don't want to depend on those. Interact. That's that's the thing is if people start with that, it's it's fairly easy now in most countries to find an expat group, but you don't yes. want to fall into the trap of being yeah just in that expat group and then miss out on a lot of cultural things so um, much, and traditions 
so much you're going to see. We lived on Phuket, which is a little island. I used to, my job used to take me from one end of the island to the other every day. So my father came out and stayed with us. We stayed on the on the east coast, which is the inland coast. Um, my aunt, his sister, came to stay, and she stayed on the west coast. And she stayed for a couple of weeks, and he stayed for a couple of weeks at different times. When they went back home, they had nothing in common. She'd been on the commercial holiday resort west coast with the ocean and the beaches and the expensive ice cream, and and and, and he'd actually seen the island. And yeah, they they had. They had nothing to talk Completely about. Completely different experiences. And they're only wow. they're only 20 miles apart. Wow. It's incredible. So yeah. And because I, I worked there, I knew lots of the locals. So we went to the local places. Um it, it can be a little bit a little bit frightening, but that's part of the enjoyment is actually trying to sort of trying to communicate hmm. and trying trying that's what right. they're eating and, and and trying what they're drinking and 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 finding out what's going on. Myanmar Myanmar rum is 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 an acquired taste because the army drink it um and it's full of quinine for the mosquitoes for malaria um yeah it's the sort of thing you try once or twice but you you've got to you've got to try all these different yeah. things in Fiji Fiji they have kava which is the local um um root that they form into a into a a juice a drink that's um an anesthetic so it numbs your mouth but you would never see that unless you unless you unless you were socializing with the locals. Right. Um so yeah, it's sort of getting off the beaten path and not not expecting that you're going to have a hot shower and and CNN or BBC on the television every night, ex- experiencing what's going on. Um That's right. France France so we lived in Antibes which was always really busy in the in the in the summer and the high season and that's again it's just fantastic going to the local restaurants the local places because they're very different way of approaching life even though we sort of call them western France that the English is not a first language and they won't speak English I always found this in France they won't speak English till you try and speak French and then suddenly they speak English but they won't speak English. Because they want to make sure you're at least going to try. You've put in some exactly. effort. Yeah. You know a few words, even if they're pronounced not great, or you know you say something that you totally didn't mean. Then they laugh. Yeah. Um, but at least you're yeah. trying, and you put exactly. in the effort. So it, yeah, it's exactly it's putting in the effort. It's meeting the locals, trying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I wouldn't say well, there's any particular place. I mean, as I said, I haven't been hard. to the Middle East. Africa's incredible. I haven't been to much of Africa. Central America, Panama is is phenomenal. I have I have the record of being the only foreign captain to take a boat through there during daylight hours. Wow. We were sitting, we were sitting at the dock in, in the morning, um, and the pilot comes on and he says to me, This is the power of yachts. Comes on and, and, and he says, okay, we've got the paperwork sorted out. He said, but you can't leave until seven o'clock tonight. And I said, uh, no, we're leaving during the day. And he said, no, no, yachts, it's a 240-foot yacht. Uh, yachts aren't allowed to go through. It's for container ships. And I said, oh, okay, um, just a minute. So I, I got the, the the owner was coming through with us. So he was on the boat. And I said, oh, this is what's happening. He said, oh, just a minute. So he died. And he gave his phone to the pilot. And the pilot said, uh, yes, Mr. President, it's coming up now. Yes, yes, get the anchor up. So yeah, we got 
sort of the about who you know absolutely so yeah i mean if you you're working with the locals i mean that's a bit extreme but you're working with the locals you Mm -hmm. see some of the local stuff we we got stuck in panama panama city on the boat again and we blew the uh, we blew part of the engine up so all the guys are stuck in the engine room and my wife um and all the interior staff basically were watching television i said no (laughs) you're not going to get back to panama city again you need to get off the boat go leave so right. they went out and they came back and she said, oh, we went to the zoo. And I'm like, okay, all right. Well, that's interesting. She said, no, no. We were caged in and we had this 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 tunnel to walk through that was covered in netting in the forest. Oh. So they were the ones in the zoo <laughs> walking through the forest. And, and yeah. And the animals were just wild animals all around. Just, absolutely. That's why the wire netting was nice. there. <laughs> but in that case, it was like, no, get off the bed rather than sit here you know and that's mm-hmm. important you go to a country don't sit in the hotel and and go to the hotel restaurant and i mean in Myanmar, I, my my best time of the week was going to the local market but we get there oh, at six yes. o'clock in the morning the and local markets are always fantastic i don't i i, I had these women there who i used to buy off and um, they couldn't speak english so it was sort of like oh, we'll do this or this and this and, and then i'd have the local um the local soup which was fantastic it was really nice but it really meant something the the woman that um produced local soup for all the all the the shopkeepers to have a far i mean there was no other foreigners there so to have a foreigner sit at her restaurant restaurant i mean i'll use that term loosely mm-hmm. a whole different day for her and then the women that i used to go and buy all the vegetables off they would have a great time I'm sure I paid like 100% more than everybody else, but that's 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 life. That, just that, that no no communication in English, okay. but I got what I wanted and they got what they wanted. We had a great time. That's really, that's really. And it's something it's that's like. talked about. Like we're talking about it now. They were probably talking about it at different points throughout their life. Kind of the the first foreigners who were there were the only one that yeah. started out. And, and you know, it, it becomes something that's um, interesting and different for them to talk about as well. Yeah, and I, I, but I suppose the one place I would encourage everybody to go, not now, is is to Myanmar because there is no tourists there. I mean, fifty five million population, and the and they got up to three million tourists. I mean, Fort Lauderdale gets three million tourists. It's a, that's a city. Um, yes, and you, Yangon is pretty well set up. It's it's really inexpensive, but you're actually going. I don't have a bucket list. I mean, what's the point of a bucket list? If you're going to put it on your bucket list, you, you should be doing it. Right. There is one place I want to go. There's a huge delta there. Um, and they have these 12, 18 foot saltwater crocodiles. Okay. And I, I don't think my medical insurance would cover the trip. But you actually go out, you stay in the fishermen's huts. Um, you, you you have, I don't know quite how you keep rid of the mosquitoes, but you 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 make sure you're covered in mosquito stuff um mm-hmm. and, and and experiencing things like that that would be one thing i have on my bucket list i don't think i'll do it but myanmar would be the place i would say people need to go it's not luxurious are there parts of it that are luxurious i mean there are six star hotels but the boat that i was running um was six star you know it was it, mm-hmm. it's a bit of little pockets most of it you sort of you know, they have the riverboats where um, the locals, and you can go on them, um, where you you don't, there's no seats. You buy your square meter on the two decks. Oh. And, and that's where you put everything in your square meter on the deck. And they go up and down the river. 
um real wow. not 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 for backpackers i don't think not for people looking for parties that's thailand um mm. more people for experiencing and, and a lot of me and my burma is is quite nostalgic for people um retired people because they remember it as burma something that came out of the war because it's second world war right um and there are elements of that around around the around the city around the country so if you actually want to get off the beaten path we had a couple of the a couple of people come in with on the boat with us and we ran out of um internet connection mm. the, the, the world was going to end especially we had a, a facebook influencer on the boat she knew right. this she knew we were going to lose internet connection but she didn't understand and then we almost had to put her off the boat, but we couldn't because there's no roads. It's, we're on the river. Right. I don't know. So I don't know that what... would be a great place for people, very adventurous people to go to. Yes. Um, obviously not now. Hopefully things get better yeah. there soon. So, and That's so John, I know you said earlier that uh, you do um, some coaching and, and things <laughs> like that. Um, so if people did want to get a hold of you, what would be the best way for them to be in touch with you? I I coach expats. About my, both my wife and myself coach expats. And I find that the biggest thing about being overseas, um, even though you've got phone and Zoom and all that, is that you start to get homesick. You, you really do. And, you know, that's the sense that you've lost something. And expats, coaching really helps to, to first of all, with, understanding themselves better sort of getting to have that sense and then experimenting getting um confident to go out and meet people but also becoming aware of what's happening at work you know most expats have gone to a different country to to work to 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 do a, a job and they've got to understand the locals this is understanding before you're being understood and depending on how far away the culture is as I said, from Florida to San Diego, there's a, there's a difference there. But if you're mm -hmm. going from the States to Europe, there's a huge, even from the States to England, there's a massive difference separated by a common language. Um, It really takes some self-awareness of what's going on when the miscommunication is happening because 90% mm -hmm. of our communication is nonverbal. Right. And that's something I work on with the expats to, to get them aware of, the subtleties of the nonverbal communication that's going on. So I, I work with lots of expats and in, in businesses in that realm and that field. The best place to get a hold of me is on LinkedIn. I think you've got the link, but yeah, I'll put it in me. the show notes below for everybody. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, that's the best yeah. place to get a hold of me. Um, and and I work with business. Obviously, my wife tends to work with business as well. She works with government departments um, because okay. a lot of government departments the fco the foreign office in the uk they send people to foreign countries through for a term like two years or something it's the same with mm -hmm. america mm -hmm. all government departments so people tend to um they go and they work so my work was my wife was involved with the embassy so a person would go to the british embassy in myanmar and the only locals they'd meet were the staff that were cleaning the house or maybe the cooks or that sort of thing so they never so they really had to make a point of going out and meeting the locals um and they they end up in this little protective bubble and then they yeah. go back home go back to new york and they say i've spent two years in myanmar i know all about the place 
and 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 I'm sitting watching the guys on CNN or BBC or CNN's great, and you're thinking this guy. You there's a classic. There was a guy there that used to report just before the coup happened and the build up to it, and he was reporting from Thailand. He'd never been to Myanmar, but he was the spokesman for CNN. I'm thinking, yeah, oh, that's you awesome. Have, you haven't been in the country. You're not in the country. You've never been to the country, but he yeah, was the leading spokesman. So a lot of um, people in, in in businesses as well especially um, private businesses need to understand the culture. So it is, mm. and it is, it's not yeah, coaching in that sort of realm. It's, it's just, it's sort of day to day, almost just sort of, so what am I going to do today? What little sportsmen are very good at it. It's not right. It's not the goal. It's what am I, can I do better today than I did yesterday? It's those incremental right. little steps that move us from A to B, not, Let's wait until B appears and I'll jump to B. Right. So, and there's lots of, lots, lots of expats struggle with being away from home, basically. Mm -hmm. And as I said, especially their spouses, their partners who go there with them, but don't have a job to go to and really don't know anybody. That's really hard for, for the, yeah, the spouse or partner. And and yeah, and then then you have the problem with the relationships. The yeah, and that and and then if you bring children into the mix, that can get even harder. They end up going back home to boarding school, or usually what you find is if the, if the kids go to a local school, they integrate really fast because mm-hmm. the locals are there. They they learn the local language. They interact with the locals. Children can be a great leveler. Um, yes. And then the families connect too, because the kids, whether they have extracurricular activities or things that are going on exactly. with school, then the parents connect and, and it is an easier way to, to connect with others. Exactly. Exactly. And I think you, you, because we live now in a, in, a, in, a, in a village outside Manchester in the UK and your, your, your worldview is, is the sum total of where you've lived yeah. And if you've lived in a little village, then that's your worldview. If you've lived in Manchester, it's a bit bigger, obviously. If you've lived in a couple of different places in the UK, your your worldview is still in England. Right. And traveling and living overseas just changes your whole perception of the world. Um, you know, really you realize depends. you realize I've realized that Asia is the powerhouse. Everyone in Asia is is so much more positive, there's so much more upbeat. I'm really, really frustrated. I have a, a Huawei phone here. Smart. You can't buy these in, in America or England. No, because no, you can't. I used to have one. I used to have one. I got it in Spain. And when I got to Canada, they're like, what? What is that? You, 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 they're half the price and they're twice as good as a, as, as, as a normal phone. They're as good as an Apple, but they're 20% of the price. So, and so it's, it, it, I mean, that's, that's technology, but just traveling overseas just gives you such a different worldview. No, I'm fascinated sitting here in England watching your political system. Un- can I say unfold or shall I say collapse in America? And <laughs> yeah. when you step outside and you watch what's happening inside the country, you realize the same thing's happening in England. I don't I don't know. You probably can speak to Canada better, but Canada sort of. Yeah. Well, we're not we're not doing so great in Canada either. Like, let's be honest, nobody's really doing that great right now. Just it's the level of who is worse. And I don't want to win that race now. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And it's so if if you if you're in a country, if you if if you grow up and your worldview is England, then that's your worldview. And and, in America looks, well, they're being stupid. But when you actually travel around, you realize, well, no, 
that's just where they are and, and there's good and bad as you said right back at the start we, i find we truly get propaganda of our own countries better than everywhere else and every and and we'll show bits of how every other country is bad or worse and even though there's some bad stuff that goes on in ours at least we're not as bad as others and it's like every country has that their own propaganda that goes that way and then once as you said once you're out of it and you realize that yeah like it's wow. it's like a whole world opens up that oh my gosh there's amazing places great things what the news was saying about this place or this religion or these people is so not true or yeah. there's a handful of them and they're saying they all are the entire country or whatever and it's it's absurd yeah. and that's why i also think it's good for people to not just travel because when we travel we live in bubbles but to truly when you move and you mm. spend time somewhere and you integrate you yeah. see how much good and better that places are and people are than what we see and hear on the news and TV. Um, absolutely, absolutely. And it was fascinating even me and living in Myanmar because there's so much more amateur. You know, the government would do this um, presentation on the on the on the state television, and down the bottom it'd say, "This Windows is a is an illegal version <laughs> on state TV." Although when the coup broke out, they had this woman doing yoga, sort of morning yoga. They do this in Myanmar, mm -hmm. morning yoga. And behind her, the tanks were rolling down the main street. It's like, well, OK, they got that one wrong. But yes, that's and, and I think that's it's the way the world's going. And I think the millennial, the younger generation are pushing it. They're, they're much more adept at being social nomads. And when mm -hmm. they get overseas, they realize, you know, here in England, the the medical services is, is is not helping. But it, I think my my wife has asthma, so she gets the the asthma okay. inhaler. Costs her a couple mm -hmm. of dollars. I think it's ten dollars. How much does it cost in America? Three hundred dollars for the same thing. It's absurd. It really and, is and absurd. You, but if you live in your little bubble of your country, you think, well, oh, that's the norm. And then you right. go overseas, and then you go back and you well, no, I'm not. I'm, yeah, I'm not going to vote for Donald Trump or. Well, I, I was just at a conference and people were like, what? The taxes are how high in, in Europe? And I'm like, well, it obviously it depends on the money you make. And there's a number of taxes, capital gains, real estate, things like that. I mean, people are like, what? That, that's absurd. And I just said, but you pay those taxes in the United States, too. And you're paying for health care. So yep. if you take out what you pay for health care, maybe you put it towards actual taxes if the rates are a bit higher you're still having a better quality of life, um, doing more things, and you have better health care, and you're at least probably at, at par on what you're paying or still paying less to have yeah. a completely different lifestyle and just culture. And yeah. and it's, it's I find the U.S. too is very um, work, live, live to work as more of Europe is work to live. Yeah. So we work less, enjoy time more, enjoy the outdoors more. Like lunch is at least an hour and a half to two hours. Dinner, we don't rush. You rarely do I ever see somebody walking around eating anywhere in Europe. If you're going to eat, you sit, yep. even if it's just a croissant, you sit down and eat. People aren't walking around while they're eating, yeah. rushing to their next meeting. It's time to eat. You sit, you eat. And there's just more enjoyment in that. And there's adjusting of that slower paced life. But most reasons people are tired of 
how busy they are. They want the slower pace. And then it's some adjusting to that slower pace. And it, yeah, when you go to Asia, you have to run at that slower pace because the, the rest mm. of the population isn't going to change for you. So it's right. <laughs> you get involved in that culture and you recognize the good and the bad. I mean, there's no country. I don't think there's, there's any country better than anywhere else. No. I'm from New Zealand and New Zealand has some fantastic benefits and everyone seems to want to go there except New Zealanders. The biggest <laughs> export from New Zealand is still New Zealanders um, <laughs> because it has its problems. Of course, every of place it does. Every place has their pros and cons yeah. and what's acceptable or, or non-acceptable or a deal breaker, however we want to call it, varies yeah. for every single person. Some people think Spain is the best place. Some think Italy is the best place. Some think Malaysia is the best place. Some people think New Zealand's the best place. There's other people that think the United States is the best place. It's, it's all, pers I think it, it all comes from where we come from. So depending upon where we live, there the things are either different, bigger, or better is, is what we think, or more opportunity. And that's not necessarily the true case. It's because it's what we see in the media, on the news, yeah. the internet. And sometimes reality is a little bit different than our expectations. However, there is no perfect place. I'm searching. It's... I haven't been to as many countries as you, but I'm still searching. <laughs> and I've come to the conclusion there is no perfect place. Everything is a bit of a give and take. It, it it's no and absolutely it's it's your worldview and when mm -hmm. you've lived overseas and you've experienced different things your 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 worldview changes and absolutely. it's where you are what, what 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 do you want I think that's a great story I was telling you about my wife we we met in we met in France we went out to dinner in Italy we went to a nightclub in Spain we got engaged in the States we were in that many different countries in that short period of time um and you, you you just realize that nowhere's better than anywhere else. It just depends what you're trying, what what you're doing in the moment. If you're if you're mm. bringing up children, my my cousin was um, was the youngest um, a partner in one of the big law firms in the UK, and his kids were preschool. And he's driving home one day, his half a day on Sunday, stuck on the M5 in twenty five in in London, and he goes, "This is crazy." You know, I get to spend this half a day with my children and we're stuck in traffic. So he went back to New Zealand because at that stage, mm -hmm. that was his focus. And New Zealand has you know really good medical service. It has free education and the kids could go to the beach. Yeah, he, he got stuck in traffic going to the beach on the weekend, but he had the whole weekend. So it didn't matter so much. In, in England, it was mm -hmm. stuck in the motorway sort of thing. So it depends where you are in life. If you're a little bit Absolutely. older. Europe's fantastic because I, I love France, Spain, Italy, cruising on the rivers, um, just sitting and um, having paella because no one in, in Spain eats at seven o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, afternoon, it's 10 o'clock at night. But right. they don't get up until late and then they have their afternoon siesta. But that's actually in that's right. life. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, and, it, it, and then in, in, in Asia, there's just so much more energy there, I think. There's so much keener, this. It just seems to me that's that's where the the focus, the energy focus, is starting to move. Um, it still has its political problems, Myanmar particularly, but most of the countries there are ruled or they have a huge military influence, which is sort of good and bad. Right, yeah, it has its good yeah. points and bad points. Well, if you're sitting in exactly. England, you, go, you know, you don't want the you don't want the military involved. But in Thailand, 
the military steps in every 10 years or so to kick all the corruption out. They say, right, this is we're going back to point A, going to kick all that stuff out, you're going to start again. And the, the, the businesses, the hoteliers that I used to know loved it because now we know if we pay some money, we're going to get the service. We don't have to pay money and then a bit under the table. So in, in Thailand, they do this reset every 10 years or so. So every country, but yeah, it's it's where you are, where you've experienced. The first digital nomad I met was a woman. It, was, it would have been in the mid late 90s. She was a computer programmer on a yacht. She had a 40-foot yacht. She had a big satellite dome on that, which looked a bit strange on a little sailboat, but she would do all her programming and send it back to the UK, uh, to the US. And she was going around the world. She'd been doing it for 18 months and we met her in wow. Papua New Guinea. So, wow. you know, you're going into villages that see two foreigners a year. Mm -hmm. um, and she was having a ball. Yeah. She was quite happy. It is by itself it's what we make it life life is what you choose and what you make it and i say to people too if they're really concerned and worried of course go check out a place go visit for a few months um and and then once you move like honestly the worst case scenario absolute worst you hate it can't stand it it's horrible you can always leave you're not stuck what? you can check out somewhere else that's maybe a bit different. Move to a, yeah. a different country, a different destination, or you could always go back home if that's what you prefer. But can you ever go back like, home? Once you've been overseas, homes never gonna quite I've, be I've the same again. I've heard a few situations of people moving back. I think that they just didn't give it enough time, or mm -hmm. um, maybe the destination wasn't quite right for them. But for me personally, I left Canada in 2011. And I mean, I never want to say never, but I'm never going to move back, at least not full time. Um, but if, when who you go knows back, what may happen in the future? But I hate winter. Hate <laughs> winter. Oh, yes. hate. I live in the UK. What happens and, when you go back home? What do you talk about? Um. It's a little bit tough because I I don't want to always talk about my travels and everything that we're doing, that I'm doing. Um, my, my friends and stuff are interested in it, but sometimes uh, I, I, I do have some concerns of how it comes across, but it is mm. my life. And I have made sacrifices. I miss birthdays. I miss um, dinner parties, Christmas, Thanksgiving, all of those things. Mm, um, mm. so it's, it is about what's going on in my friends' lives, um, how their work is going, what their, their plans are, what they're doing. I mean, and, and they do ask me too. my friends are, are pretty good, but I just have now a handful, um, of very close friends that I've had for, I mean, all of them, I probably had for at least, at least 20 years. Um, family's a little bit different. Um, but you know, it's it's it, it's it's just the the way it is. Um, I enjoy it. They know that I'm doing my thing, and and I'm always says like I always say to them, you can always come visit me. I go back to Canada every single year. Every single year I go back and visit, um, and I say, you know, you can you can always come come visit me as come well visit. wherever I'm living. It's, so, it's one it's, of those things where I realized because I, I went overseas, left New Zealand, and I went back there a few times and my brother got pissed off. So he followed me overseas and we used to go back 
and it's slowly dwindled down so we'd only get back every couple of years because they're living in their in their bubble their worldview was new zealand and mm. we would go back and and, and they were interested in what we're doing but you know france was a little wee country miles away i remember i got on the tube going at heathrow going into london one day just spent the summer in the mediterranean and there was a it was a, a, a woman um it was on another boat and we knew each other quite well so we sat in the tube rush hour traffic into london talking about you know the sort of the italian food and what's happening in italy and what's happening in greece and and and, and what's going on in france and not just about boating but just about the sort of the culture and what was happening in these different places and you could see all these guys with their newspapers sitting on the tube just getting more and more more and more angry because that was their life they were that they would go into London and come back out again. So, yeah, it's, it can be difficult in those relationships. I've been lucky because my family, most of my families, pretty much all my families lived overseas. So if we talk about different places, we've got some connection. But if, you, if, if you've got a group of friends that have lived in Canada and they've never been to France, it's a little country and they've got no concept. And it's far it's, away and uh, yeah, it might be and nice to visit. And makes nice wine. And that, that's yeah. Sort of about There's it. the Eiffel Tower, you know. Yeah, it 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 can be a little bit. So I I generally do, uh, on, on some occasions, I, I definitely downplay um, my travels and where I'm going and and what I'm doing. Um so it's it, it it and it's it's it kind of sucks in a way because there's times that I I do want to share all the fun cool things that I'm doing and and stuff like that like last no it was actually just a few weeks ago it wasn't even last month I was in Barcelona and I decided I'm gonna I'm gonna check out Nice because I'm interested in in finding more about France and and visiting some more places in France and doing stuff there. And so I just hopped on, like I booked a flight for the next day and went to Nice for four days and you came back. Should have caught the train. And... You should have caught the train. Well, yeah, but the I because I was only going for four days. Okay. It was an hour flight or nine hours on the train. But I would definitely, I do plan on doing more of the south of France because it is so close. Um, and I will definitely be doing the train. But I because it was last minute, it just. Yeah. Um, time and trip. cost it was cheaper to fly than mm. take the train so one of the things i did right back at the start was whenever i went somewhere was to take collect a recipe a local recipe oh okay and and so when i go home and we uh, have you had blackened fish do you know yes. blackened fish yes mm -hmm. so the guy in fort lauderdale developed that burnt the fish okay one day. um and we were in Fort Lauderdale when he was doing that. This is back in the early 90s. And so we went to the restaurant a few times and got chatting to him. And I got the recipe and I took that home. So I didn't have to talk about Fort Lauderdale when I was back in New Zealand. I just said, oh, I'll cook, I'll cook, uh, cook on the barbecue. Hmm. So that's something I've sort of tried to collect in different places. I mean, I, I love cooking and I love food and Thai food, Myanmar food, not so much. Indian food from Indian food, not British Indian, <laughs> Indian, Indian food. Hey. <laughs> it's, it's, it's French food is it's just different. and Italians it's just also different and when you're there and it, and it truly is because like a tomato grown in Canada grown in Costa Rica grown in Italy even if it's the same brand type of tomato it does not taste the same 
the water's different, the soil's different, the sunlight is different. So it yep. does taste different. So not only what they're using and making, um, but it's the true flavors of the food there that is also different. And yeah, it just it's just better. It's just I, better. the thing I the thing I like about Italy is that it's not just the food. It's it's the family. So okay, yes. we're gonna have this and this and this wine and this wine and, and then you. So it becomes a, a cultural thing, an, an experience again. Even though I'm back mm. in New Zealand, it's not just the food. It's, right. It's sort of expanding. I love Italy. Mm -hmm. It's one of my favorites. Well, John, um, I think uh, we should probably end on the food note because okay. I feel like we can continue <laughs> talking for hours. Um, but I really want to thank you very much for your time uh, today and sharing some of your stories. I'm sure our listeners got a lot of valuable information about lots of different areas today. Thank you. Thank you. I, yeah, I think we went a little bit over, but we covered the world. Bit. That's okay. That's all right. We covered the world. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much for your time. <laughs>